And uh, we're going to start off with two missionaries from Uganda, Brian and Sandra. So if you guys want to make your way up here. And they came here extra early, which was good. So I got some extra time with them. But uh, here you go. Hi. Do we sit down? Stand? <laughs> I'll sit down. I'm more comfortable sitting down. Hi, my name is Sandra. Um, I've met many of you last time when I was at Connect. Um, just keep an eye on the time because <laughs> I might overspeak. Um, but mo as most of you know, I have a bit of an accent. I grew up in a Hutterai colony uh, between Chester and Forbent, so I'm a Montana native, but I now say Uganda's home. And I went to the Bible College up by Augusta, Montana Wilderness School of the Bible eight years ago in August. I ran away from home, jumped out of, out of my bedroom window. It's just amazing what God has done throughout the last eight years. I was at Bible College for a year, and then I booked a one-way ticket and went to Uganda. I've been there for seven years. <laughs> I was so naive, but God has grown me, and I've been able to be a part of so many wonderful ministries, orphanages, and then women's empowerment groups, uh, helping keep children in their families. And last time I was here, I shared that I was involved with a cafe working with HIV-positive women, empowering them so they can take care of their families and not have to place their kids in orphanages. But now I'm working with a local ministry. My friend out of Billings has a ministry in Uganda in South Africa. It's called the Hope of Africa. So I'm privileged to be a part of that. And we work with vulnerable and um, youth that come from you know, challenging backgrounds. And we come alongside them. And they're all in universities or they're going to having internships and they have no way to pay for that. So we come alongside them. We empower them. They make jewelry. And th that way they're able to, you know, get a start up in life. And then we also work with some of the HIV-positive women that helped pro uh, make the jewelry uh, before the kids assemble them. So I'm doing a bunch of different stuff. I'm also doing the finances and the bookkeeping for the ministry. So when I get back, I have so much work. It's going <laughs> to be a bit overwhelming. But I enjoy it. I am thankful that God has, you know, given me those skills and that I'm able to do that. So yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Um, feel free to ask if you have any questions and, and I'll let my husband Brian share what his ministry is all about. Oh well, my biggest ministry is my wife. I'm glad, <laughs> yep, that's right. I keep telling her that the day she decided to jump out of the window, she decided she was coming to meet me in Uganda. So, forever grateful for uh, having made that decision, babe. Thank you so much for jumping out of the window that day. <laughs> because God straight, uh, led you straight to me, right? We found each other in Uganda. Well, my name is Brian Nasala, and um, I serve with a ministry out of the United States. It's called International Justice Mission. And um, we protect the poor from violence. We work through the police and the public just uh, and uh, the DPP, or which would be the equivalent of district prosecutors and the judiciary to prosecute criminals that have sexually um, abused children and and women. And, and that's what I do. I give leadership to their communications and advocacy. And God has been very, very, very gracious to us and um, to be able to do what we do. We recognize that we cannot do that without God's power and without God himself intervening. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens out in the world. 
But you know, God has chosen every one of us to be a part of his story. I want you to just turn to your neighbor, give them a high five and tell them, God has called you to be a part of a great story. You know, all we need to do, by the way, all we need to do is to obey him. You know, we might not know what the future looks like. We might not know what tomorrow looks like. But when God calls you and you jump out of the window and you decide, I am going for it, God will use you to change the world. My wife is my biggest inspiration because I cannot start to imagine what she went through that day. The fear that she had to face and the courage that was in her to decide, let me step out of my comfort zone. Something I have known all my life to just reach out and follow what God is telling me to do. If she did not do that, thousands of women would not be transformed today. Hundreds of children would still be living in places that they are not supposed to. But because of what she did, because of the steps that she took and the courage that she had to step out and decide to follow God, man, that, that, that's the best thing ever. And God calls us all to be a part of that. All we need to do is to obey you know, there might be many questions and there may be so many worries and concerns and we might not know what tomorrow is. But guess what? God knows the future. In fact, he does know it. From He, he knows everything. He knew you before you were created in your mother's womb, the Bible says. He sanctified you and ordained you a prophet over the nations. And guess what? He has a great plan for you. He has a great plan for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. So what we need to do is to step out and accept God's call and be obedient. Well, I am glad to serve um, with the ministry that I serve. And um, every day I get to see lives transformed. We go out and we rescue all these girls that have been defiled by, by people that terrible quite honestly we have cases of four-year-olds three-year-olds and, and many stories that are sad that you know I, I, I cannot start to share at this uh, time but that's what we do we wouldn't be able to do what we get to do if it were not for the many people that support us if it were not for those that decide to give of the little they have so that we are able to serve wherever we do. When you buy a basket, you're directly helping us to do what we have to do back home. You're helping us actually support the ladies that weave those baskets and make those little dolls and, and, and the many things. So thank you so much for choosing to be a part of our lives and always giving towards this ministry. I should let him speak all the time. He's way better <laughs> at it than I am. So yeah, he said it all, and I think my time is up. But again, I'm so, so grateful for the opportunity that Pastor Bob gave us to come and share. And for many of you that welcomed me last time, again this time, and um, have come alongside us and are excited in the work that we're doing. We can't do it alone. We need you guys. So again, thank you so much, and have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless.
All right. I'd, I'd like to pray for you guys, but uh, I'd, I'd like to share a little information that, that they don't know. But uh, we're going to pick you guys up on a monthly basis as missionaries. So, yeah. So we're going to, I'll get with you afterward and we'll work out the details. But, yeah, it's been on my heart for a long time to, uh, to pick you guys up. So we're going to come alongside of you. So let's, let's pray right now for this couple. Father God, I thank you for the important work that uh, Brian and Sandra are doing. While all the different ministries that they're involved with and all the different lives that they're impacting, and I really just count it an honor that we're able to step now alongside of them and help them financially on the mission field, Lord. Pray that uh, you would bless them. Pray that you would anoint them, anoint their ministries, God. I pray that you would protect them uh, with your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit would guide them, give them wisdom and discernment while they're on the mission field, Lord, so that this important, powerful work can continue to be done. We thank you so much for this couple. We pray this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. God bless you. <laughs> All right. What a great day so far, and the day keeps going. We have Russ, Chris, and Nikki. Come on forward, guys. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Can I just say something really fast? Sure. You go right ahead. Okay. I'm going to give this to your mom. This is very out of the ordinary for me, but I just want to um, say to you, Brian, and what was your name again? Sandra. Okay, I just wanted to say to you guys, I just, while you were speaking, I just got a picture um, so vividly from the Lord that um, Uganda has been a nation that has been robbed of a father in so many ways. I spent three weeks there, and, and my, my world was changed by the people of Uganda. And I just felt the Lord saying that his promise in his word is that he will be a father to the fatherless, and that through you guys, he is showing the love of the father to the fatherless in Uganda. So I just want to say God bless you guys and just remember that God through you, Uganda will be blessed. Amen. Amen. Sure. Give me a cross in here. front of you. Okay. Sure. We're going to start with, um, it kind of feels like Missionary Sunday today. Right. Uh, so... Many of you are aware that Nikki has been a missionary with the organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and uh, she's having a change of course, and so we're going to start with her just giving you guys a report on what has happened with the ministry and where she's going next, so take it away. Okay, uh, so for those of you who don't um, know or haven't heard my story before when I've been here, um, in 2011 I graduated high school and um, I was at a crossroads in my life. I didn't know if I should follow God or do my own thing, and God made it very clear that I was to follow him. So I left on a um, discipleship training school, a nine-month discipleship training school with YWAM. Um, I went to Hawaii, and during our outreach phase, we spent four months in Southeast Asia, and in the last two weeks of um, that outreach phase, God spoke to me that I was to move to Indonesia. So I was 18, and I came back home and told my parents I'm moving to Indonesia. And um, I spent from 2012 until 2016 um, in all over Southeast Asia, in India and um, Indonesia, Thailand, and working with women who had been trafficked from all over the world and imprisoned in Indonesia. Um, and I also worked with survivors of um, human trafficking and uh, with 
yeah, many different scopes. As these two, um, when you're in missions, you just end up doing a whole lot of things. So, uh, but mostly I was doing legal advocacy work for women in prison. And during that time, um, I believe that there's pictures somewhere. Yes, I met um, this woman, her name is Sheila, and she is from South Africa. Um, she was trafficked um, as a drug mule from South Africa. What I mean by trafficked is a man, um, she was actually widowed at 28 and a single mother. Her husband died of AIDS. And um, during that time, uh, there was still a lot of racial war in South Africa. And so she had a um, black mother and a white father. And in South Africa, um, they refer to themselves in that way. I know in America, it's a little bit different, but um, in South Africa, she would refer, refer to herself as a colored person. And in that time, colored people um, had very high unemployment rates. And so she was facing a financial crisis and someone came along and offered her money. And so she took that loan um, and through that, he actually threatened to kill her children if she didn't take a package to Indonesia. And she arrived in Indonesia and was given a life sentence in prison. And so um, I met her in the prison in Indonesia and we were fast friends. And um, later on, I will share more about her story and why I'm mentioning her name now. Um, and so in 2016, uh, God started transitioning me out of Indonesia. I was quite surprised because I thought I would live and die in Indonesia and be there for the rest of my life. So it was quite a shock when God said it's um, time to go. And he, I mean, he blocked my visa. He blocked everything in prison for me. So I knew it was time to go. And um, I ended up coming home to the States for a few months. And then God led me to Africa, which was not on my radar at all until that time. Um, and I went to a counseling school in South Africa um, where we learned how to um, just different aspects of counseling, and also in that time, I received a lot of healing myself, and uh, God led me to Uganda after that for three weeks, and then um, during that time, I had to do an internship to finish my counseling school, and so I went to Hawaii to work with um, women who were escaping abusive relationships, and um, with youth who were on probation and in the court system, and so um, in the last two years, there's been a lot of things happening in my life, but um, the big thing that I wanted to share was about Sheila. In January of this year, um, God had woke me up in the middle of the night. For several years, I hadn't talked to Sheila. Um, the police had stopped me from visiting her, and I wasn't sure why that was happening, but I later found out it was because she was being tortured, and the um, prison system did not want me to know about it. And so um, I knew that Sheila had HIV because of her husband, and so I was the one who normally gave her vitamins and all of her medications for that, but for several years I wasn't able to do that, so I worried about her constantly. Um, and God woke me up in the middle of the night in January and said, Nikki, you have to go to Indonesia to rescue her. And so the next day I hopped on a plane to Indonesia, and um, I went and found Sheila in, in the prison, and um, what I found was a horrific sight, and um, Sheila was chained to a wall and lying in her own feces and um, had had fluid on the brain for many months um, because no one had done anything and the only people who were taking care of her were the other prisoners who had no resources to change her diapers or to give her the food that she needed. And so my friends and I, um, we sat there for six hours pleading with the prison guards to get her out of the prison and we brought her into the hospital and we were able to nurse Sheila to um, her final breath and in Febu on February 13th of this year, um, Sheila passed away. Um, and this was a time, 
This is um, Sheila in the hospital. They, she couldn't even walk, she couldn't talk or eat, but they still shackled her to the bed. Um, the injustice that we saw during this time was, um, it was unimaginable. Um, but this changed my, my scope, my perspective, even of all the horrific things that I had seen in previous years, this situation changed everything for me. And so I went back to Hawaii and I was finishing up my internship time and my boss in Hawaii actually prophesied over me. She's not even a Christian, but she prophesied over my life and said, Nikki, I know that you are um, feeling that you're transitioning and wanting to go to school, but I just have to say, I see you being a human rights attorney. You have to be a human rights attorney. And so for me, that changed uh, my whole course of a degree and studying in university. And so I have um, transitioned completely out of living overseas and I have moved back to Bozeman uh, with my parents and going to MSU in the fall. And I plan to go to law school um, to get my human right, international human rights law degree so that I can go back to Africa or Indonesia or um, working with IJM. That's actually something that's really on my heart. Um, to go back and, and use that to help people like Sheila. And so that's kind of the, the description of everything. And so through all of um, Sheila's story and through just being able to walk alongside of her, we actually went to, actually I got to go to South Africa. Her family paid for my trip there to bring her ashes after she passed away um, and attend the funeral. And so God has opened up this whole, um, just realm of ministry in South Africa that I never had before through Sheila's life. And so her family and her kids are in constant contact with me now. And I plan to go see them in December. And I plan for yearly trips to Indonesia to keep those relationships. And um, yeah, so there's <laughs> Sheila's family. Um, and we made fast friends. I just walked off the plane and I said, well, they could either hate me or love me, but they ended up loving me. So, um, and yeah, so I just wanted to say for all of you who have been supporting me financially, thank you so much for the investment that you have made in my life in Indonesia and Africa. Um, all of the lives that have been touched over the last seven years was because of Connect partnering with me. I couldn't have done it without my Connect family. So I just want to say thank you and thank you for reaching the lives of of people in Indonesia and beyond. And um, from here on out, uh, I will be supporting prisoners still financially. Um, this is Raul, he's from um, Iran, Iran, however you want to say it. Um, <laughs> and he uh, was actually trafficked as well um, for drugs. And my parents met him when they came to Bali. He is actually in a horrific prison at the moment. He was transferred. Um, they are not given food or toiletries in the prisons. And so um, what we can do is just support them financially so that they can at least have food and basic toiletries um, to live, and so uh, this is Kathleen. She was also trafficked from South Africa, um, drug-related uh, cases, and so she has a lot of health problems, so our financial support helps her to be able to get the medications she needs. She's actually running a bakery inside of the prison that sells baked goods outside of the prison and um, helps to keep women employed within, within uh, the prison walls. And then the last person that I support financially is Anne, and she is from Thailand. Um, she was actually trafficked from Thailand. She was forced into prostitution because she needed money to pay for her mother's chemo. Um, and during the time that she was trafficked, her mother ended up passing away. But she will get out of prison in two years' time. And so my hope is to be able to build up a fund for Anne 
that when she goes home, she would have enough money to start a life again so she doesn't have to go back to prostitution or doesn't have to go back to the streets to make money. And so if your heart is to continue to support um, these ministries, that's what the finances will go to is to these three and uh, to the ministries that I will be a part of when I go back on my yearly trips. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you and God bless you all for being a part of what God has been doing all over the world. Amen. A lot of words. So if you're joining us for the first time today, or if you're back after being away for a while, we are in the middle of our summer message series that we're calling Masterpiece. And uh, our, our theme verse comes from the book of Ephesians, and it says, we are, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. And we've been talking about our identity in Christ. We started with talking about how how God takes us from being broken to being restored, and he makes us into a masterpiece. We've talked about a, a bunch of different uh, topics, but uh, today we want to talk about how we have become a part of God's family. And just before I get into the, the teaching, uh, we just wanted to share with you our family story. Um, God has radically changed our identities and uh, many of you have known us for many, many years. Some of you have just met us. So um, you hear Nikki calling us mom and dad. That might seem completely normal. If you do, have not known us, for those of us that have known us for a long time, you know that's new and my, you might be asking all kinds of questions because Chris and I have had the identity of being childless. Uh, we've been married for 24 years and uh, we were never able to have children of our own. It was a long, long struggle. And Nikki, your identity was an orphan. Tell us a little bit about that identity for you. Um, yeah, so most of my life I identified myself as an orphan. I had two parents up until I was 15. Um, when I was 15, my, mother, my birth mother passed away from cancer. Um, but even before that, I felt like an orphan. Um, and be I grew up in a home that was full of abuse and violence. Um, it made me feel unsafe and it made me feel alone. And growing up in that type of environment, um, having to take care of myself and my own security and my own safety as a young girl made me feel so alone and that I felt like I didn't have any parents, even though physically they were there. Yeah. And so uh, Chris and I moved to Bozeman 10 years ago, and we started the Connect Church uh, there in, in the Gallatin Valley. Uh, Nikki, if I remember correctly, you were there on the very first Sunday, our launch Sunday, course, with yes. some of your family members. Yes. And it was about a month later that her mother passed away of, of breast cancer, mm -hmm. terrible, terrible cancer. And that's really when we met you. I yes. remember uh, meeting you uh, as you were weeping in your mother's hospital room. Mm -hmm. It was it was awful. Yeah, um, not my best moment. No, it, w it was hard. Chris and I had come to Bozeman uh, expecting to move with a baby. We were in the process of adopting a child. It was kind of our last hope at having children of our own. Uh, we had gone through all kinds of fertility treatment, uh, all kinds of stuff, and uh, we were supposed to adopt a baby, and. Uh, just before the baby was born, the, the mother decided to keep the baby instead of give her up for adoption. 
So we moved to Bozeman with broken hearts. And uh, we were done, weren't we, Chrissy? We were done. We were done. Yeah. We were not going to push in any more doors. It was clear that this, this was not how the Lord was going to bring us children. And so I don't think emotionally we could handle one more rejection that way. So we're like, this is who we are. We're childless. We're childless. For our lives. Yeah. And when we're old, we'll have to take care of each other or <laughs> no one's there for us, you know, kind of. I mean, that, it, it, it affects you like we're going to grow old alone kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. And at the same time, um, we held on to some promises that the Lord had given us. Uh, over the years, different people, well-meaning people, had prophesied over us and they would say, Chris, you're going to have a baby one year from now. And we would say, okay, that's awesome. And then a year would come and it wouldn't happen. And we had all, you know, all these disappointments. But over the years, we had held on to a prophecy. There was a, there was a, a young man, a worship leader, who had visited our church uh, when we were newly married. He stepped, off, he stepped off the plane. He was so full of the Holy Spirit. And he looked at us and he said, do you guys have children? We said, no. We didn't even know we were infertile at that point. Do you guys have children? No. He said, your children are going to be powerful in the kingdom. And it was one of those things that just resonated with us. It felt like it was God speaking to us. We had no idea that that, that, that promise from the Lord would be fulfilled so many years later. Um, okay, I went on a long rabbit trail. Um, okay, yes, thank you. So... Uh, so at one point, uh, well, after, after Nikki's mom died, uh, you began to meet with, with Chris every week. Yeah, so at the funeral, I didn't know Nikki. She was um, kind of an eye-rolling 15-year-old, just, right? Just covering up emotion with smiles, even at the funeral. Kind and, of goth. Yeah. Black makeup. Right. So, um, <laughs> so at, at the funeral, I, I had met her grandmother and, and I was getting into a, a kind of a relationship with her grandma and I said, if she ever needs anybody to talk to, why don't you give me a call, I'll have coffee with her. And I'm like, I don't know what even to say to a 15 year old, but I'm willing to meet with her. And, and so that week her grandmother called and said she needs to see somebody badly. And so we began having coffee and uh, every week for a year we had coffee and we, uh, probably two to three hours we would just right? Yes. And, These girls and have words. We do. And so we really went, got into a very tight, very close relationship. And um, it was, I think I was mom by the end of that year. Yeah. It was that kind of a relationship with her. So that's kind of how it developed. And then it was a short time after that that the violence got really bad mm -hmm. in your home. And, uh, and I remember the day that I found out you were living in your car. Yes. Yeah. About that. Sure. What was that like? You were um, literally homeless. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a car, so I mean, it's not the worst situation. But um, <laughs> hey, I could have not had a car, so <laughs> it was better than not having a car. But um, I was maybe end of 15, beginning of my 16th year, and um, the violence in my home had just grown, and I was daily having to figure out how to protect myself, figure out what times to come home. And um, there was an incident that happened that um, my life was literally at risk. And um, I, sh I really should have died that night. But something saved me. And that night, I made the decision as a 15-year-old girl that I couldn't, 
I couldn't stay in my home any longer or I wasn't gonna survive. And so um, I decided to pack up my stuff and move into my car. And I lived from parking lot to parking lot or you know, on some of my friends' couches, but I could only stay for so long because um, the person who was abusing me would, knew where all of my family lived, knew where all of my friends were. And so I never really felt safe because I knew I would at some point be found. Um, and so I was just living in hiding and trying to figure it out. I worked at Burger King, so I got food. Um, there was a truck stop with a shower. You just had to pay, I don't even know, like a dollar or something to take a shower. So I took a shower every morning before school and I would go to school and then I would go work at Burger King and get food. And, and when I found out, I said, this is not acceptable. You'll come and live with us. And so she, she moved into our home at that time and, and, uh, and, and it wasn't long before we were mom and dad. And yet, we weren't mom and dad. Do you know what I'm talking about? We loved her with all our hearts. But whenever we would have conversations with someone, uh, they would say, do you have children? And we would always say, no, we don't. But we have people in our lives that are like children. You know, we just always had this, this conversation. And uh, at, at Christmas time of 2016, so about a year and a half ago, we had a discussion about this identity because unbeknownst to us, we were hurting Nikki's heart every time we said that. Every time we said, no, we don't have children, but there's this awkward relationship with, with, that we have with this young woman. It, how did that make you feel? Um, well, f for me, the, the moment that I started calling them mom and dad um, was huge for me because I never felt that I had parents that, even though my, my birth mother loves me the best that she could, but I never felt that she was that nurturing mother that I really needed. And um, with my stepfather, you know, I never had a relationship with him. So for me to take the step to say, you're my mom and dad, really m meant for me in my heart, like it's solidified, like you're my parents. So um, there were times that I just felt like, am I wrong? Like, I'm still alone, you know? Like, okay, at the end of the day, if something terrible happens legally, I'm alone. I guess I don't really have parents. And when I found out that I had hurt Nikki's heart that deeply, I wanted to fix it. I wanted to change our identities. And so at this point, you were 23 years old. And, um, and I thought to myself, I wonder if you can adopt an adult. So I did what any rational person would do. I Googled, can you adopt an adult? And it turns out you can. And so uh, in June of 2017, we adopted Nikki as our legal daughter, and she is now our daughter. It was awesome, and God is so good. God is so good. What do you want to say about that? We've been talking so much, you haven't had very many words. No, I'm good. You're good. I'm fine. Okay. What did it change for you? What did it change for you? Um, it changed a lot because all of a sudden we have responsibility now, too. I'm like, oh my goodness. I think that same day I went home and I'm like, we have to pay for a wedding. She has to go to college. I mean, there's all these things that, you know, there's expectations now that you will do, right, if you're our kid. So, um, yeah, it changed so much. I mean, we don't live for ourselves. We hover over her a lot. I became the She's, most ridiculous helicopter dad yeah. you can even imagine. Yeah. Watching her on, uh, online all the time. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thanks, girls.
Um, I don't have very much time. I'm going to preach the fastest sermon you've ever heard in the history of the world. Okay? So would you give my girls a big hand, please? Can I ask you this? Grab your note cards if you got one when you came in. Are there more? I think there's some scattered around if you need a note card. Grab your note card and in some white space on that card, would you write one word? If you could describe your identity in one word, what would that one word be? Just, just jot that down for me. I'm not going to make you share it with me. or You don't have to share it with anybody else. I just want it there uh, for, for later reference for you. For us, our identity was childless. For Nikki, her identity was orphan. If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be? We're talking about how God has changed our identity because, what of, because of what Jesus has done for us. And today we're going to start in Galatians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible with you or, or Bible app, whatever you have, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4. It'll also be up on the screen today. Um, here's what we read. Paul the Apostle is writing and he says, think of it this way, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not, not, not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set, and that's the way it was for us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. What Paul is saying here in this paragraph is he's drawing an analogy between our relationship with Jesus and, and a, a relationship with a parent that has died. He's going to go on to talk about what it's like to be adopted into God's family using this metaphor of what was actually Roman law at the time. In this paragraph we just read, he, he's saying uh, if, a, if a parent dies and leaves an orphan, they, they are a slave to their guardian until they come of age. Okay? Then Paul goes on. He says, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Everybody say, adopt us. Adopt us. Adopt us. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Do you know what the word Abba means? The, the word Abba is actually an Aramaic word. This, this part of the Bible was written in the Greek language, but here Paul uses a word that Jesus used, an Aramaic word, Abba, that means daddy. It's a very affectionate, familiar family word, daddy, Abba. Because we've been adopted, we have this very close, intimate relationship with our father. And he finishes by saying, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, here's the big idea I want to share with you today. If you're taking notes, please write this down. 
You are not an orphan anymore. Um, I think my screen is wrong. Just um, cast that screen into outer darkness and on your notes, <laughs> write down, I'm not an orphan anymore. We very definitely used the first draft when we uploaded this. I'm, I'm sorry for the mistake. We'll probably find other mistakes. You are not an orphan anymore, friends. In Roman culture, there were laws that, that, uh, that indicated, that, that governed how people would, would adopt children. And, and interestingly, Julius Caesar adopted Octavian as his heir, and that adopted son became Augustus Caesar, who ruled the Roman Empire. And, and interestingly, the Roman laws are not very much different than our laws right here in Montana. And so when God adopts us into our family, there are a number of things that happen that are so similar to what Chris and Nikki and I have just experienced. Here's the first one, number one on your, on your notes. Number one, the old family is replaced by the new. The old family is replaced by the new. When we decided to adopt Nikki, there were a lot of things that happened that we didn't know were going to happen, and one of them was the state of Montana issued her a brand new birth certificate. And, and it, was so, it was so crazy to us. Is it up there? Oh, it's up in the middle, okay. And, and so Nikki got in the mail, got this brand new birth certificate, and it says that Russ Michaels is the father, Chris Michaels is the mother, and Nikki was born on, on that date. And uh, I, I joke, and, and it was before Chris and I were even married. So we, <laughs> the, the new awkward conversation is, um, so Pastor Russ, how long have you been married? 24 years. How old is your daughter? 25. And we... <laughs> We just drop it and walk away, right? Um, but that old family, that old family that was identified as with abuse and hurt and pain in Nikki's life, in the eyes of the law, that's been completely replaced with the Michaels family. We are mom and dad. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Here's where you're going to praise the Lord, Donna. Look at this verse. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Donna, say amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. It's awesome. And John 1.12 says, To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, friends, you might be here today and you haven't yet been adopted into God's family. Today is your day. Because Jesus died and because the Father wants children, today you have the invitation to be adopted into his family. Today you can call him Abba. You can call him Daddy. He wants to be your father. And for those of us that have already been adopted we have a brand new family. That, that family of sin, that family of regret, that family of, of missed opportunities, it's all been replaced now that we're in the family of God. That's our identity. Here's number two. What are you in? I'm in Galatians chapter four. Uh, yeah, that was 2 Corinthians 5.17 and John 1.12. 
Here's number two. The adopted child becomes the legal son or daughter of the new parents. This is kind of obvious, but there's a, a number of things that, that make this really significant. See, our family isn't fake or artificial. Before we legally adopted Nikki, we always had to make all those awkward explanations. It felt fake and artificial, but now that we're adopted, it's the real deal. There's no caveats, there's no conditions. Our adopted daughter has all the same rights and privileges as a natural-born child. And it's awesome. If, if we were to die and we didn't have a will, everything would automatically go to Nikki because she is legally, in every way, she is our heir. Uh, another one of the fun things that happened when we were adopting Nikki is, um, is she got to decide if she wanted to change her names. And uh, before we even saw the adoption attorney, uh, we talked with her, do you want to be a Michaels? And she said yes. And uh, so that was all settled. But what we didn't know is that when you go to be adopted, uh, many times people will change the whole name. And so uh, Nikki's birth name was Nicole Elizabeth. And she didn't really like either one of those names. And so she chose to make her name legally Nikki. That's what we've always called her. And she took Chris's middle name, Marie, which is a family name that's been passed down generationally. And so not only does she have a new birth certificate, but she has a new name. And, and she's, she's completely a new person. Galatians 5, 6. This is up on your screen. Look at this. We read this just a moment ago. Because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Daddy. There's something that happens even with our names when we're adopted into God's family. One of the very special things for me that happened around the time that we adopted Nikki, Nikki started calling me Poppy. And that's what she calls me most of the time. And it just makes me all warm and gooey inside. <laughs> and listen, God calls you not by your formal name. He calls you by that special name that your mom or dad calls you, right? And he invites you to consider him your dad. I, I've known people over the years that, that when they're praying, they, they call God daddy. Have you known those people? And I've always thought that was a little kind of out there. But the more I study this, guys, I get it. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. He's your dad, and he means it. Here's number three. The adopted child becomes the financial responsibility of the new parents. <laughs> the day the adoption happened, Chris already shared with you, she started thinking about all the things we needed to do. <laughs> you know, got to pay for a wedding. We got to get this girl in college. Uh, you uh, I, I started thinking about weddings. Uh, Nikki didn't know this until a week ago when I shared this message in Bozeman. Uh, I, I've started shopping for wedding dresses for her. I'm, I mean, I'm just that weird freaky dad, right? She's probably not going to like anything I like. That's okay. She can have anything she wants. And the same thing is true spiritually. Look at this. 1 Peter 1. This is so cool. For you know that God paid a ransom 
to save you from the empty life you inherited from your answers. God paid a ransom, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Listen, there was a cost to adopt you. The new covenant, Jesus said it at the Last Supper, it's a new covenant in my blood. There was a price to be paid for that new covenant. It was the ransom. And Jesus paid the cost for us. It, it, it cost Jesus everything, but he was willing to pay it so that you and I didn't have to pay a thing. Do, do you hear me? You don't have to pay for your sins because Jesus paid it all. The ransom is complete and God absorbed the cost so you and I could be sons and daughters of God. And that's what it means to be adopted into the family of God and it changes everything. Here's number four. Didn't I tell you I'd be fast? I thought you would cheer. Number four. Number four, the adopted child becomes the heir to the parent's estate. I mentioned that earlier. Nikki, Nikki will adopt our stuff. We're not wealthy people. She won't adopt a whole lot of money. She's, what I say, she won't inherit a lot of money, but she's, she's inheriting all my collections. I'm a collector. <laughs> Nikki, you are going to be the proud owner of about 150 Hard Rock Cafe pins. Congratulations. <laughs> But we're going to inherit a whole lot of stuff. The best stuff. Galatians 4, we already read it, said, You're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. And Titus 3, 7 tells us what we're going to inherit. Look at this. This, this will make you jump up and wave. Probably not, but I'm going to read it anyway. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit what? Eternal life. That's your inheritance, is eternal life. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus in fellowship with your dad who created you, who adopted you, who has made you new, who restored you, who made you into this new creation so that the old would be gone and the new would come. You will inherit everything from your father. And it's going to be a whole lot better than 150 hard rock pins. This is who you are. I love you, Donna. 1 John 3, 2. Read this out loud with me. Look at, a, look at the screen. Say this out loud with me. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. Dear friends. One more time. Read it with me. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. Put your things aside. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I'm just filled with so much gratitude. I have been so blessed. I have been so blessed for you to not only promise me a child, but you have fulfilled that promise in my life. And I'm so blessed. But what far eclipses having a daughter in this world, far eclipsed is knowing that I have been adopted into your family. I have been blessed to know that you, God, you're my dad. 
And Jesus, I'm blessed to know that you were willing to come and die on that cross so that all of this would be paid for and there'd be a new covenant of love and forgiveness, forgiveness and, and newness of life. I, I'm so blessed and I'm so thankful. And today, Father God, I want to ask you in this moment as we just consider where we're at, what our identity is, I don't know what everybody wrote on that sheet of paper today, but we all wrote something, and some of us, Lord, I know are lost. We're hurt. Some of us, some of us are feeling like orphans, just like Nikki did. Some of us are feeling broken. Some, some of us are, are without God in this world. And I want to pray, Father God, that right now as we pray, you will change that identity. I'm praying for miracles in this room, a change of identity, a change in the way we see ourselves. Most importantly, Father God, will you adopt some new sons and daughters in this room today? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, just before we finish praying, I, I want to just ask you to, to take a moment and ask yourself, have I been adopted into God's family? Is this real in my life at this point in time? And if it's not for you, I would love to pray for you to say yes to Jesus and, and to his sacrifice on the cross and for you to be adopted into God's family right now. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. You don't have to do anything else to earn this position of being his son or daughter other than just say yes to Jesus and put your faith in him and we'll pray for you in just a moment. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. But if you want to be adopted into God's family right now, would you raise your hand real high where you are and I'm going to pray for you before we, before we close this out tonight. Thank you, young man. Thank you so much. Awesome. Anybody else want to join this young man who's going to be adopted into God's family right now? Thank you. I see you as well. Thank you. Two, two people today. Oh, there's a celebration in heaven today. Thank you, Jesus. All right, you can put your hands down. Let's all stand up. Let's, we, we stand while we pray this prayer today. Would you, um, would you repeat a prayer with me? I don't know if you do this here in Great Falls, but we do it all the time in, in, in Bozeman. I'm just going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer with me. And, and the two of you that are saying yes to Jesus, would you pray this prayer from the deepest place in your heart? And this moment, you're going to be adopted into God's family. Let, let's all pray together. Father God, thank you for loving me so much. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I'm saying yes today. I want to be adopted into your family. I'm asking you to wash my sin away. Wash my rebellion away. Change my heart so that I love you and I follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can you just lift up a big round of applause for these two that said yes to Jesus this morning? Thank you. Let's sing.